Amid calls to defund the police in San Diego and across the nation, the region's leaders are taking a more cautious approach. On Tuesday, the San Diego City Council unanimously endorsed plans for a new police review board. The board would have more enforcement power and give citizens more agency to hold police accountable. While this move isn't as drastic as ones seen in Camden, New Jersey or in Minneapolis, implementing the board would be a step toward meeting many activists and protesters' demands. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. David Garrick, who covers City Hall for the Union-Tribune, let's get people up to speed. What is this new review board that voters will likely see on their ballots in November? Uh, it would give uh, – there, there's an existing police review board that a lot of people say just has almost no power. Um, it, it doesn't have the power to subpoena witnesses. It doesn't have the power to conduct independent investigations. And it doesn't have its own right to legal counsel. Uh, it's existed for a long time. There's been a long push to try to give this board a lot more power. And I think sort of this latest protest and uh, you know social movement has pushed it over the finish line. So it will have the ability to call its own witnesses and subpoena them. It will have the power to do its own independent investigations. It will have the power to have its own legal counsel. Uh, and it will review any action that a police department or a police officer takes that the public has a complaint about. Uh, and then it will recommend discipline and that the police chief can say yes or no, but it will recommend it to the police chief. Mm-hmm. And what's the history of this plan? I imagine it didn't just fall out of the sky out of nowhere. No, I mean, you could say it's ironic or however you want to look at it, but uh, Monica Montgomery, who's a member of the city council, the only black member of the city council, she's head of the council's public safety committee, and she has been shepherding this through step after step after step, slowly and steadily. She showed remarkable patience negotiating with the police union because obviously it does affect them how their employees could be disciplined. Um, a lot of folks have, have characterized the police union as against this, and while I'm, I'm, I'm not saying they've been being champions of it, I think it's only fair to say that they had to sort of fight it or question it because it does affect their employees' ability to keep their job and to maybe get disciplined. Um, anyway, Monica Montgomery has been shepherding it through. Uh, it was already headed to the ballot and, and on course for the ballot anyway, um, but obviously it's gained a lot more uh, um, importance uh, in light of what happened in Minneapolis, in light of what's happened across the country with these national and local protests. Mm-hmm. And just for more context, it's been uh, several weeks since that city council meeting that went on pretty much all day when people called to defund the police. I think you had there was like more than 400 calls and 4,000 letters, something like that. Has any of the council's positions changed after that meeting? Because I imagine sitting through that was not fun. No, I, I, I covered that meeting. It was it was a very, very long, extreme, uh, extremely complicated process to, to cover. Um you know, I mean, I think defunding the police, I think, has always been kind of a, a, the wrong term. I don't think – obviously, there may be a small subset of folks who want the police department to get zero funding. But I think the idea of defunding the police is to sort of slowly and steadily and incrementally reduce funding on law enforcement and spend it on other areas like social services. I think that's what most folks who say that mean. And I think this city council has said, hey, we're, we're interested in doing that. We're going to come up with uh, new reforms to they, – they, they ban the carotid restraint chokehold. They're exploring new de-escalation techniques, which is kind of a buzzword to try to have less uh, – to have the situations with law enforcement less often rise to the level of violence. Um, and they're going to do things like this, which this is going to make more accountability and more transparency. When the police do something that citizens in this city say is a problem, the citizens in the city now have a place to go where they know there's going to be an independent investigation – They know it's going to be handled by folks who are appointed by the city council, not the police department, not the mayor. 
Um, and I think it's going to give uh, the residents of San Diego more confidence that when they have a complaint, they'll at least be able to air it out and it'll get a fair hearing and we'll get a result and a recommendation. So can you walk us through, assuming this thing passes and it becomes an actual board, how would a person file a complaint? What kind of complaints go to this? Like, Kind of give us a hypothetical scenario of how it would work. Well, there's three mandatory types of complaints. Um, it's uh, any uh, officer involved shooting, um, any situation where someone from the public uh, gets shot, um, you know, it, it basically the classic kind of situations that we see on TV. But there's a long list of discretionary situations where the board could decide to conduct an investigation. And that involves any violence involving an officer. That involves uh, sexual harassment allegations involving an officer. You know, nothing that would shock you like, wow, they're, they're not going to, you know, do an investigation on an officer for sneezing too often or something. You know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. but, but they have a long list. And, and one thing I think that people are really excited about or, or pleased about is that the, the, the bylaws for this board are so detailed already that I think gives people confidence that we know what can be investigated. We know how it'll be investigated. We know who will investigate it. We know who appoints them. You know, we know who hires the investigators. I mean, they've really put a lot of thought and time into it. So you could argue maybe because this was supposed to come to a vote in 2018 and it was scuttled, a lot of people blame. There's a lot of blaming going around about why it didn't happen in 2018, but it didn't get on the ballot in 2018. Some folks are still frustrated about that. But maybe a silver lining is that now that you've had an extra two years, it is fully baked. I mean, obviously anyone can have a complaint about anything, but most folks, yesterday there were um, maybe 70 people who spoke and not one person complained about how this thing is set up. I mean, everyone seems to be confident that this has been thoroughly handled and it's a comprehensive, fair, equitable look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a way, this is kind of Councilwoman's Monica Montgomery's moment in which she's been pushing this for so long, she finally has her chance to shine. No, and I have to say, Scott Sherman, who's the most conservative member of the city council, he's a Republican, really went out of his way yesterday to praise her for her patience, for working with the police union, for you know doing all the right things. I mean, and I have to say, Monica is a remarkable person. You know, she she always maintains her cool. She always stays calm. She's been very professional throughout this. When you've seen politicians across the country, maybe not always follow that playbook. You know, this is a time when there's a lot of angst and frustration. Um, and I, she's kept her cool and been very professional. And I, I've been impressed. And it's been it's been interesting to cover her. Um, and you know, these meetings that, that she's dealt with in the past, back last winter, you know, there was constantly like, well, you got to cross this hoop before you can do it. You got to cross that hoop. You know, and instead of throwing her hands up in the air and saying, boy, this is a lot of annoying red tape and bureaucracy, she just said, we're going to get it done. We're going to get it done. Okay, you've put another hurdle in my way. I'm going to cross it. So it's hard hard not to admire how she's handled it. Mm -hmm. Certainly. And, you know, all of the hoops that she has jumped through to get this to this point is kind of the national conversation that's happening now. If you're going to implement change through the process, it takes years likely to get it done so a lot of the kind of frustration you're seeing at the national level is this process that largely has happened in san diego just kind of out of the public eye of protests that have been going on for a month practically i i think that's fair to say i think one well i'll also credit uh councilwoman barbara Bree because she tends to have a knack for sort of putting things in the context of a, a bigger picture context and she said yesterday the public can take this vote in this panel any way they want. But she said that really she didn't think it should be characterized as an anti-police vote. She said that she would like residents to view this as this is an opportunity 
to, to strengthen the relationship between the police department and the residents of San Diego. So while you could characterize it as an anti-police vote because they're going to be subject to discipline and more scrutiny, she tried to say, hey, this is a way maybe for the relationship to finally get better, for trust in the, in the, in the ordinary residents to, to grow because they know there's accountability. And you know, I mean, for the police maybe to feel like maybe the, the residents are going to feel more confident in them. I mean, they have been wearing body warrant cameras since like 2015, almost all of them since 2016. So, I mean, San Diego has, has been maybe at the forefront of some sort of accountability measures in, in recent years. But obviously the, the relationship between the department and a lot of the city's more low-income minority neighborhoods has not been strong, and there has been turbulence, and there has been distrust. And I think everyone agrees maybe that change was necessary. Mm-hmm. And it's worth noting that uh, two of the most uh, infamous incidents that resulted in death recently, uh, Alfred Alango and Earl McNeil, both occurred not in the San Diego Police Department. So it's kind of worth noting that there is a difference there. But San Diego Police is the one of the biggest in the area, so it kind of makes sense that they have the most scrutiny just because of their size. No, and I think they set the tone for law enforcement in the region. I mean, obviously, we have the county sheriffs, which is also a large agency. But I mean, I think a lot of the local police departments in Carlsbad, Escondido, and other smaller cities sort of look to San Diego to see how they're going to handle things uh, and how they're going to look at racial profiling and all that. So we're kind of the the big kid on the block here. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. watch what the big kid on the block does. Certainly. And when you consider kind of the broader politics of this, uh, we're going into a general election. Uh, Right now, Todd Gloria is likely to be the next mayor. Uh, Do you expect that San Diego area Democrats will kind of push for something more extreme and more, you know, restrictive on the police in the coming months, because that's kind of what people are demanding. Although, you know, that's not every Democrat. It's just the ones that are marching in the street. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting to see how this political movement plays out. I mean, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm out of touch, but I feel like the the leaders who are making sense of the movement are are talking about the fact that 80% of what a police officer does is not traditional law enforcement anymore. It's dealing with homeless people. It's dealing with people who are mentally ill, right? It's dealing with people who are in domestic violence situations. Now that's sort of law enforcement, but that's also maybe sociology. And so I think the idea is that maybe we're spending too much money on police and we need to try to find a way to slowly, incrementally over time, spend some of that money on social services, on people who are trained to deal with homeless people and understand their problems better. So I think that's what some folks mean by defund the police. But there's definitely a subset of folks out there who think that the police should just go away because Mm -hmm. they have a long history of not doing the right thing. Um, So I think the Democratic Party, I think, will veer more toward what I talked about, that sort of incremental approach and reprioritization of of financial uh, money uh, toward more social service stuff and less law enforcement stuff. But I can't be sure. I mean, are they going to read polls? Are they going to base their positions on what they see in the polls? You know, I, I really I really don't know. But I certainly feel like this has been a moment where people are demanding sweeping change. And I think it's it's interesting to see. But I do think probably that that moment of of pressure on politicians to do something now, you've got to hold a press conference, you've got to say something. I think that will abate because that's just sort of the natural history of, of politics. You know, there's a big issue and it's got a big news cycle. And then two or three or four months later, it's not that people don't care anymore, but they've moved on to other things and there become less pressure on politicians to propose sweeping significant changes. Mm-hmm. Be curious to see what happens next. David Garrick, thank you so much. Thanks. In other news, 
Coronavirus cases in California continued a troubling spike this week, but it remains unclear how much worse conditions must get before officials move to slow the rapid reopening of the economy. On both Monday and Tuesday, California shattered a daily record for new cases. More than 6,600 infections were reported, the largest single-day count statewide since the pandemic began. The case count is only one metric in tracking the spread of the virus. Although increased testing capacity may account for some of the increase, officials have said the surge cannot be pegged to greater testing alone. Officials have repeatedly warned that they expect transmission rates to increase as more businesses reopen and people resume normal activities after months-long stay-at-home orders. San Diego County health officials reported another single-day highest of number San Diego County health officials reported another single-day highest number of positive tests, 332. That brings the current case count to 11,626, of which 370 people are currently hospitalized with the virus and 347 people have died. During the briefing, Public Health Officer Wilma Wooten showed charts of symptom onset during key phases of reopening, bars and restaurants, houses of worship, and the George Floyd protests. The chart showed more cases following these events. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. This podcast is made possible by subscribers to the San Diego Union Tribune. As we live through this momentous time in history, the truth and facts matter. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go to uniontrip.com slash subscribe. Until next time.